welcome. We're back in session with your host Jay of What's Going On, a social studies network podcast. Now let's get into it. everyone's day has been going great if it's not I know it's going to get better we are now in the season of breaks I know everybody is ready for break because I am I'm tired I know everybody else is tired too today we will be getting into our first episode of what is social studies and we will be doing this with Dr. Asif Wilson as he will be taking us or starting us off with our journey of expanding our thoughts to new horizons so let me just introduce Dr. Asif Wilson, or as I call him, Professor Asif. He started <laughs> off as a social studies teacher, and now he is here as an assistant professor at U of I. And he is absolutely amazing. And I will never call him just Asif because uncomfortable for me. But who am I? Again, I am your host, Jay. And this is our podcast, What's Going On the Social Studies Network. So how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Thanks so much for having me. Yes. Thank you so much for interviewing with me. Yes, no doubt. Or not even just interviewing, just having a conversation mm-hmm. about social studies, because this is a very important topic that we are covering. I didn't even know that social studies was still something that was used. Mm, yes, it still is very much used all across the country in many, many different schools. I thought they changed it because in high school, like once I got to high school, they like has so many different names Mm. but then they change it to humanities Mm. and so i was thinking that it started to shift to humanities but Uh, then i was thinking that maybe that's just like a middle school and elementary school term that that's used hmm. that's interesting yeah cool okay so i am very nervous (laughs) i'm sorry but i just want to start off with I know what my definition of social studies is and how I think of it. How do you Mm -hmm. think of social studies? Yeah, I think about um, also my definition and then I think about a larger definition. So maybe I'll share both of those. For me, social studies is a place for people of all ages. Um, Generally, it's a school-based thing. So I'm thinking about students, but more importantly, I think about the method of social studies as just a place for students to explore the world around them, to analyze their experiences in the world, and to do something about that. And so social studies essentially is the study of society. I think when you think about how social studies has been defined by its originators, it might be something different. And so I oftentimes go to the work of this old cat, His name was Thomas Jesse Jones. And Thomas Jesse Jones has a couple nicknames. Your audience members can look those up. 
Um, but Thomas Jesse Jones is known to be the quote unquote father of social studies. And Thomas Jesse Jones started his career actually in Africa, oh. studying colonization in Africa. And then he came back to the U.S. and started to explore a question that so many other people were exploring. And remember, this is at the end of enslavement, so-called right end of enslavement. And there is this thing called the Negro question. What we going to do with all these formerly enslaved people? I don't know if they necessarily thought of them as free, but what are we going to do with these formerly enslaved people? And Thomas Jesse Jones had an idea. He said, let's try this thing out called social studies. And social studies can be a space of indoctrination. Mm -hmm. And he actually wrote about this in his books. And he said, maybe we can use this social studies to make indigenous people and Black people, he called them Indians and Negroes, more susceptible to their oppression. And so when you think about social studies in that context, maybe it's this sort of space where the larger society is reproduced as it is. Mm -hmm. And so social studies in its concept, in the ways that Thomas Jesse Jones thought about it, was not this liberatory, freeing, emancipatory, investigative place, but was actually this place where Black and Indigenous people learned how to take their place in society. We, of course, think about it maybe in some different ways, and I certainly think about it in more liberatory ways, but originally that's what it was, a container to contain people. I feel like that was my experience during elementary and middle school mm. because I went to a Catholic school. And so obviously the things that we learned were very restricting and also very religious. Hmm. And so and the reason why I never thought of social studies as like an actual term or something that was still used today is because, for one, the social studies teachers I had, they were not they very much had the that container mindset. I think they very much went with the original way that social studies was intended, because the way I learned about slavery, it was literally just picking cotton. We're here on came here on boats. And then they were free. And then we went to the civil rights movement. Right. It was over. Then we marched. <laughs> then, we, then we marched and Dr. King saved us all. And mm. now we can hold hands with white folk. Mm. And I was just like, and I remember something that my social studies teacher told me when we were talking about slavery, because I've always been very passionate about race. I don't know what it was, but ever since I was a kid, I was very like in tune. I was very like, I could just notice different things. And I feel like a lot of kids that are like my I don't even want to say minoritized because mm. the, the demographics are changing but underrepresented I feel like a lot of kids probably had that experience but didn't understand it but for some reason I just had like that open concept of I feel like I know what's going on but she told me once I kept asking different questions and trying to expand the topic she was like well slavery wasn't all of white people's fault I was like huh mm. I was like I was like in seventh grade maybe sixth grade when she told me that I've never forgot that I'm 20 now for context so I was just like, every time I think about that, I'm just like, well, what does she mean? And when I think about it now, when I've read different books or took my humanities classes at high school, because that was more liberatory and more radicalized, if you want to say that. Mm. And I learned that, I guess you could have said in a different way, but obviously the different tribes in Africa had different wars with each other. Mm -hmm. And the kings of the tribes would sell people, would sell their enemies off mm. to mm. slaveholders mm. or even send their sell like the the daughters of the tribes sure. who weren't worthy of being queens or anything of that sort 
to some of the white soldiers that came there. Mm-hmm. And white soldiers then create family. So it was either you're a slave or you're the second wife because they have wives across the sea. They're white wives. Mm-hmm. And so I was just like, maybe if she would have explained it in a different context, an educational context, but instead she was like very defensive about it. She was a white woman. Mm-hmm. And there are just other things too that was just very restricting because even native america even learning about native americans i didn't learn about it until high school thankfully because a lot of people aren't Mm. learning about it until now i never learned about indigenous people in my entire educational career yeah i'm trying to think back i i never learned about indigenous peoples um certainly not indigenous tribes um their contributions practices even things that we were using in my class that were indigenous, we um, never highlighted those sorts of um, components or practices. Um, and, and not until much later, until I actually became almost a social studies professor mm-hmm. that I started to explore this concept of indigenous indigeneity mm-hmm. and the contributions of indigenous people to this place. Yeah, they had us draw hand turkeys and talk about Thanksgiving. I had to do that. <laughs> I had to do that. And I used to be so excited bringing my hand turkeys home. Like, look, I made a hand turkey. And we would like hang it up. And I never understood the concept of Thanksgiving because I was just like, oh, Native Americans were these nice, or Indians, as they refer to them. Indians were these nice people who helped white people farm corn and help them out through a, a great storm that could have killed everyone, not knowing the actual injustices that were taking place. And it also with that, I never thought of social studies as history. I thought it was politics. Hmm. I thought social studies was politics growing up because within social studies, there was so much that went into it in middle school and elementary, to be specific, talking about the three branches of government, talking about presidents. What did the presidents do? Because even during slavery, a lot of it has to do with Abraham Lincoln. And for a long time, he was my favorite president because for long, we had the same birthday. And oh. two, thought he freed the slaves. I was like, mm. yes, I got the same birthday as the man who freed the slaves. Just to find out it had nothing to do with his morality. It had to do with like, how does he look politically? Mm. How does he stop or, mm. or win a war that's going on to keep the country together? Yeah, you're making me think about how many other young people in K-12 schools think that social studies is just knowledge of the U.S. governmental system. Yeah. Right. The three the three branches of government, how to vote and the Constitution. But there's so much more to social studies outside of that. And so this makes me also think about what is what's my role as a pre-service educator? And then what is social studies role as a as a discipline, as a space of learning and teaching to one, create something more than um, politics, as, as you said, but then to also create space for young people to explore the questions that they naturally have, like those questions you talked about having as a young person, what might it look like and sound like and feel like for social studies to be a space where people can investigate the real world around them and take that where it goes, right? If social studies is the study of society, then is anything off limits. Mm. And how do we, and I mean, teachers and schools and curricula and social studies standards actually create some barriers to that sort of free inquiry that could be taking place in so many social studies classrooms across the country. And I think that's a very important point because a lot of teachers, I don't think they think to expand our minds because I feel like that scares them. 
But I think to that point, how did you get here to that point, like from your students when you were teaching social studies, you know, how did they help you come to this conclusion now? Because you seem all perfect and like, you know, everything like you just seem like so intimidating. How did they help you on your journey? Yeah, no, thank you for that question. I actually credit a lot of who I am today um, based on my experiences as as a middle school social studies and science teacher. And so when I started my career in 2008 teaching, I started on the west side of Chicago at an all-Black middle school. And I thought that because I was Black, because I was very interested in Black history, that Mm -hmm. I could do so much by just bringing Black history into the school. And furthermore, I thought that, you know, if we could study local Black life, then even better. It would be relevant to my students and help them to imagine themselves in the world and and maybe even transform the world around them. And so I started actually with a a lot of work on Black history and um, enslavement, the 13th Amendment, but I also did current events a lot in my class. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that this newspaper that was local to our community did was they had a homicide tracker. So they would track the number of deaths in Chicago on a daily basis. And I lived in a community that was impacted by a number of um, oppressive structures. And and as a result, there was violence. And I thought that my class, because I was Black, because we were teaching Black history that was current, my students could end violence in their community. Mm. And one day a student raised her hand. Her last name was Wilson, too. So Sierra, if you're listening, thank you. I owe you a lot. Sierra raised her hand. And she just said, stop. And I was like, stop. What? I kind of looked around and she was like, stop. And I, she pointed at the chalkboard behind me. Mm-hmm. And that's where I had the homicide tracker for the community I was teaching in. Like, the, and the number would grow every couple of days. And she said, stop this. And she pointed back to the number I had displayed on the board. And she said, Mr. Wilson, we are more than this and stop doing this to us. And so I had to really make some sense of that. And what I heard from Sierra is we are more than our pain. Mm. And secondly, social studies is more than just sharing information with students. It's more than content. There's this thing we talk about called pedagogy. And that's more than the stuff that you use, like the curriculum that you use to mediate learning. Pedagogy is how we interact with each other. Right. is how I see myself in my students and how my students see themselves in me, maybe, but more so the, the primary part of that. And I had to really do some deep thinking around what was my role as a social studies teacher? Was it just to deliver black history? And what happened as a result of that moment and some other moments that I had, but Sierra's um, call in was instrumental in helping me to shift to becoming the person I am today was thinking about what sort of space I was creating and what the outcomes of that space were, right? The content was one part of that, but it was really about the relationships that existed in that space. So my classroom shifted from rows to circles. Hmm. My classroom shifted from me initiating everything, me starting everything to my students having authority and control over our classroom. Every day started with circles and check-ins and current events. The other thing that I shifted to was 
not just talking about black life through the painful moments of our experience. And when you think about black history, and when you think about black history in social studies classrooms, or when you think about Latinx history, or you think about LGBTQIA plus history, or you think about movements, or you think about a number of sort of social studies components that I think we hope are in classrooms, it oftentimes is portrayed as the painful narratives of that population. Look at all the struggles Black people went through, and then it ends with some sort of like happy moment, like, oh, look, now everything's fixed, right? And that's not necessarily the case. So I learned also that I had to center joy. I had to center social movements that occurred in the past that were moments and these larger kind of collective struggles that demonstrate how beautiful we were, that demonstrate how powerful Black people were, that demonstrated that transformation has happened in the past. And I think those sorts of joyous moments, along with the relational sort of aspect of our classroom, help to create a space that I talked about earlier. Social studies becoming a place where students could ask questions, where they could investigate those questions, given all their brilliance and their beauty. And then all I had to do was unleash the space for them to do something about it. And we did really beautiful stuff. We made music videos and students did all sorts of actions in their community. We thought about how they could impact not just their worlds, but the worlds mm -hmm. of peoples and spaces and places around them. And I learned all of that by actually taking a moment to pause, by taking a moment to honor how brilliant my students were and to remind myself of that as a teacher on a daily basis, and also to honor the beautiful parts of Black history and the beautiful parts of history and the beautiful parts of social studies that can provide students motivation, engagement, and happiness and joy that can help us to continue the work, I would call it, of transforming the world around us. Oh my God, wow. <laughs> oh my God, that, that was beautiful. I Thank think you. I can relate to a lot of the different parts that you spoke because even though there was a lot of trauma that came with my education with social studies, particularly in middle school and elementary school, I did have some great moments too. Sister mm -hmm. Flora, I love you, okay? And I, and I hope to run into you, speak to you, have dinner with you. She was like literally the love of my life when mm -hmm. I was like, and I think I met her in kindergarten and I was so obsessed with her until she left in like my fourth grade year. Her nieces were there and they were like sisters to me. She was, um, I hope I get this right. I think she was Nigerian. Mm. And she taught us a um, a traditional dance. She bought like little, she bought some of their clothing too. We put them on. I was like maybe like fourth grade or something like that. I still remember some of the dance moves. I'm not going to do them. I'm like, don't, please don't ask me. <laughs> but I was like, at first I was a little self-conscious doing it because, you know, even with social studies, there are so many different stereotypes that come. And as a black person growing up, being African was not desirable. Mm. It was not something that was promoted. Mm -hmm. And so I was a little subconscious doing it. I'm like, why do we have to do this? And then when we got on that stage and I did it, I kept showing everybody afterwards when I went home. I was like, look what I learned how to do. Look what we did at Black History Month. Like even when we were practicing, like I felt so much pride and joy and love that came from it. And I didn't even know anything about truly, you know how we connected mm. to the African diaspora, because like I said, like 
just so many negative jokes, so many negative connotations that 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 come with being associated with being African. And I think that kind of connects to an experience that I had during the summer where I taught at an um, performance arts camp. And um, where, where did she go? Swahili. We were learning Swahili. Mm. Um, and oh, I can't think of Tanzania. Yes. Or Tanzania. Uh, we had, it was called Global Girls. That's the summer camp that I was working okay. at. And we, we learned the song in Swahili. Um, I know it. That's why I was singing and remembering myself of it. And we learned a few dance moves. And Miss um, Penn, great woman, absolutely inspiring. She gave us a speech before our performance. And she was just saying how, she was, she was, she was older. Mm-hmm. Um, she was just saying how her growing up, it wasn't it was way worse than when I was younger, you know, being trying to say that you're African. Mm. So she was just just seeing all of us coming together, singing the song in Swahili. It really like melted her heart because of the fact that just all throughout her life, it was something that was punished. Mm. That that side of her, she couldn't embrace that even if she wanted to. And so she was saying connecting to the motherland was extremely important. And just to see young people now leading a new, you know, just a new thought new ideas about African pride and things like that, which is beautiful to see. And I think just, you know, connecting that back to social studies, it's like, what are we putting into kids' minds when they grow up? Because we think that kids are not smart or they don't understand things. And it's like, there are, there are smart. We just have more eight, we're just older than them. We mm-hmm. experienced things before they did. Mm-hmm. They just have to experience things. And so once they're taking all of this stuff in, that's what they're going to grow up to learn and teach. Then we have to think about how does that work for new teachers? How does these ideologies work as new teachers are coming in? Because I want to be a teacher. I want to do English, but I also want to, I also want to incorporate. Like, his, yes. Yes. Okay. Of course. Like when I do my assignment, social studies is going to be all up in there. So I guess you could say more humanities, but even with my experiences now, like being a mentor, being a teacher, or even when I was in education 201, and I was um, at the Don Moyo Boys and Girls Club, and I was in this program called Girls Go For It. And I was working with um, Black girls, a few Latina girls, one Asian American girl. But I had to make sure that I was catering to them, like, like you said, seeing yourself in them and seeing them within me. And I was just thinking about a conversation I had in class today about the way students speak. It was, it was a writing class. I didn't even know that these different classes that I was taking was going to incorporate all of these different ideologies about understanding underrepresented students, how they speak their culture. Because in my mind, college is just like, get a degree, get a job. Mm. I didn't realize all of this stuff was going to be here, especially considering the education that I had before that wasn't as liberatory as this mm. is. And so something that I was thinking about is like, how do we, how do we let students express themselves? And I know like the way that that, you know, the A.V.E. or black English or Ebonics is something that's demonized mm. and something that I realized that I had to do is when they speak in certain ways, I'm going to speak back to them in that same way. I'll correct them later, correct them. Mm. So that way, when they get in other atmospheres, they know how to talk in both ways because it's basically being bilingual. Mm. So when my girls, they're like, Ms. J, what are you doing? I'd be like, girl, I'm doing this. What are you doing? Yeah. And then later I'd be like, it's, it's fine to say, what are you doing? But also understanding that you can say, what are you doing? Yeah. Because once we start to demonize students, they get put in their shells. Mm. And once they get put in their shells, when they get put in these classes to talk about history, 
talk about people that look like them and what they went through, they already feel that pain. It might not be the same pain, right? but they feel that pain and they're so traumatized and they're so into their self. They don't want to open up and they don't want to express their self. Mm. I know. And that just, that just like connects back to noble schools. So like jail, it's mm. like jail. Um, they're changing the rules now. And that's only because the person who created the schools is a creep. That's the only reason why. Not because he was racist. Not because he created the system for black and brown students specifically, mm-hmm. only in Chicago, only in certain areas. That's not why they dismantled it, but because he was a creep, because mm-hmm. he was, he didn't, he didn't, he wasn't all the way there. And in the, in the teacher lounge, they had a poster of gang signs. So that way they could tell some of the boys were gang members or people were gang members. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, they got caught up into that so much. Two people threw the peace sign up at each other and they got detention. Mm. Because, or, or was it even suspension? Something along those lines. Because they're like, you threw up a gang sign. And they're like, we literally just threw up peace signs. Yeah. And it's like, when you add all of that into your school atmosphere, that's going to come into the classroom. Mm-hmm. I remember even having teachers tell us, leave it at the door. And I get it. You want to make sure you can make it through your lessons. But what about those students that are suffering? Mm-hmm. And then when they fail... You kick them to the curb and you push them aside. And then what happens to them after that? You mm-hmm. don't you don't focus on them anymore. You only mm-hmm. focus on the students that can push through. And it's like they're suffering. They're they're suffering as well. And I think in my classrooms, like you saying that you gave your your students the front seat to the class, I feel like that happened to me in high school, but not for the purpose of liberating us. Only certain teachers did that. It was really more the academic professional side of it. We want y'all to be able to relate to these higher ups who are having these similar circles and doing these similar things. So that way you can be in the same position as them. It's like, what is, it's like, what is that saying to us mm. when you have to train us? And that's, to act in these ways? that's Thomas Jesse Jones, the father of social studies, if you will, 150 years later, still those sorts of conditions still very much alive in schools. And I wonder oftentimes if Thomas Jesse Jones and other architects of social studies realize what they were setting up and how long-standing and concretized it would become in schools, or if they thought this would be a temporary sort of thing. Hmm. Um, And maybe none of that really matters. But what really matters is that schools can be places where students are harmed, where they're not free to express themselves, where they don't get to ask questions about the world, and where teachers don't support that sort of inquiry-based learning experience that ultimately can help students understand the pain that they're holding on to, and maybe even start to heal given the sorts of explorations and discoveries that they make. Because I... Oh my God, I just had so many thoughts in my mind that just happened at one time. But I focus, I want to go back to that, to the point that you talked about with joy. Mm. And, and that's something that's like, it's literally in everything. And that's something that I've been bringing up in my classes a lot. Because I, I remember I asked my grandpa one day, I, every time since I've been at college, I've been at home. I always, when I go home, I'd be like, hey, grandpa, I have an interesting question of the day. He's like, oh my God, here we go. What's up? And I'd be like, <laughs> are there any black movies that you've seen that didn't have anything to do with trauma that actually was just like a, a regular love story that was just a coming of age movie he was like maybe one mm. maybe two 
and I was like, well, could you could you tell me mm. what it is? Like, what year did it come out? And I can't remember which movie he said, but it was like one movie. It was maybe from like the 90s, something mm. like that. Mm. And I was just like, people think that social studies is just the past. Right. And we're, we're creating social studies right now. And when we talk about these different stories, it's just so angry. And I always bring these up every time in my classes because I do talk about Black trauma because that's something that's important. I don't want to take away from that because if we do stop fighting for that, who's going to continue to fight for it? It's going to, how is it going to get better? Mm-hmm. They have to be talked about. But at the same token, I don't want people sitting up here thinking that only Black people, only way they could be happy is to struggle. Because I am in classes, I'm typically the only black person in there or the only black girl in there. Mm-hmm. And so being around like white people is so can be so constraining at mm. times because like what do you say? What do you not say? And I had to learn to not care about the way I spoke or about the things that I said. Cause I'm mm-hmm. like, if I have to experience this, you need to learn about it. Mm. And I just feel like social studies, specifically social studies, has not opened up the doors or given the room to explore these different ideas once you go into higher education because social studies is typically focused where little kids are because the the name changes when you get when you get older Mm. and so I feel like it leaves room and it leaves the door open for for more concepts but I just I just think it's interesting because I just wonder like how do people look at me when I talk about my different experiences because I'm just like now I'm just trying to focus on telling my happy experiences too because a lot of the times I relate to different stories that are told in class through my struggle experiences. Yeah. And one thing that I try to point out to people is like black people don't just only struggle. Mm-hmm. Not all black people are in the slums, like getting it out the mud. I mean, those stories mm-hmm. are important, too. But I want to make sure that we're looking at, at people who are very successful, who didn't have those all those negative experiences on those trauma. But at the same token, something that I've noticed is that there is this extreme for black people and then there's this divide and conquer that comes with it so either you're really successful you're like really uppity you don't you you look down upon other black people and then you have black people who are on the other opposite of the end who are struggling who hate those other black people who are successful Mm. they feel like they're not helping them out and then it's just like where do we learn that from social studies social studies (laughs) (laughs) what makes a good citizen Right. And so we think about schooling as this pathway towards good citizenship. And ultimately, what that oftentimes translates into is you follow the rules really good. You don't make a big stink and fuss when something don't go right and you go vote. Mm. But it doesn't mean that you change the way society is structured, that you change the way your life and the lives of other people around you function and what mediates that functionality we rarely use social studies for that but i think that's the that's the possibility of social studies to be that place where we can really critically investigate things around us in our lives but also do something about it change them and that doesn't always mean that we go to the polls that we do a neighborhood cleanup or we do some sort of service project. Mm. What that means is we critically ask questions of our lives and our place in the world. And when we find something that is limiting us in that relationship, something that's preventing our humanity, something that is taking away the sort of joy in our lives, then we do something about that. And that always doesn't result in voting, service work, or neighborhood cleanups. That results 
maybe in something different that transforms and shakes up the status quo in our lives? Because I, I know for me, I was very sheltered growing up. I didn't know about a lot of things. I like got older. My family was very adamant <laughs> on making sure I was a child because mm. I feel like a lot of black kids don't get that experience. And that doesn't necessarily mean they grew up in a, in a bad neighborhood or anything like that. There's these different experiences. And I think to what you said, where was, why do I care for anything on the stage? But I just, just going, I just going to my next point with you that. Did. But just based upon like how sheltered I was growing up and then going into the school system and then having that innocence taken away from me hmm. through these school systems and through social studies, it's like now asking these critical questions. I would guess that's where I wanted to go. I wish they would have asked us these questions sooner. I wish they would have piqued our minds sooner because I was always curious. I might not have been exposed to a lot, but I was always curious. And so when I got exposed to these different things without the critical lens of it, I was confused. Mm. I was and maybe, like, yeah. Maybe it's not so much that you learned how to do that, but I, my partner is a kindergarten teacher. And so I oftentimes... If there's any opportunity to be around five-year-olds, I always take it because mm -hmm. I find that five-year-olds and three-year-olds and four-year-olds and really young children have so many questions about the world. And they actually are so deeply engaged in these questions that they share them with everybody. Right? Miss Logan, during your summer camp, I bet you got this all the time. What is this? Why is this? Yes. Why is this <laughs> happening? And then what happens as those five-year-olds become six-year-olds and as those first graders become second graders and those second graders become fifth graders and those fifth graders become eighth graders and eighth graders become high schoolers. What I notice is the questions stop. The curiosities oftentimes are limited, right? And those are the conditions that we're responsible for creating in schools. And so the question I ask is not what is going on with the young person. But what's actually going on with the schooling of that young person that's stripping away their curiosity, that's stripping away those questions, that's saying this place is not a place for you to explore and investigate the world, but it's actually a place where we tell you what you're going to investigate and explore. Mm -hmm. And so something happens because those five-year-olds that my partner teaches year and year, year in and year out, transform as they become older. And I start to ask the question, if they start to lose their curiosity between the ages of five and 13, what happens between the ages of five and 25? Or by the time they get to their 35th year, or they're like me, 39, or 50, or 60. So like, what happens to our curiosities? What happens to the ways in which we question things that happen to us and to others? And then what does social studies have to do with all that? What does school have to do with all that? And then what can we transform about schools and about social studies that actually support these beautiful, brilliant questions that can lead to beautiful and brilliant investigations, that can lead to beautiful and brilliant analyses, that can build, build in and lead up to brilliant, brilliant and beautiful actions and transformations of the world around us. That's the sort of world I want to live in, those are the sources, social studies classrooms. I want children all across this country, black, white, in between to enter into. And those are the sorts of, I think, teaching 
interactions and relationships that I hope all these teachers in U.S. public schools and private schools and in between, although we're getting it from all many different places and teachers are under a great deal of stress, I recognize that, but what can we do to free the boundaries of our classrooms and what can we do to free the minds of students in front of us? Wow. I feel like I want to stop there. I feel like that was such a great ending note. I was like, I had so much I wanted to say to that. And I was like, that was that was like a perfect ending note. <laughs> Cut the tape. It's over. <laughs> Do, would you like to end it there? If that's where you want to end it, it's totally up to you. I feel like we could come back. Okay. And have a part two. Okay. Thank you for joining me. This was a very very eye-opening interview that I'm going most definitely going to use in my papers when yeah. I have to write them and I'm going to use in classroom settings because I always mention everything I learned in your class mm. I always take them to other classes so I'm like I'm always like you're like probably one of the only your class probably one of the most like profound classes in my education that I always remember mm, and I always use like the different concepts and ideas of, like my papers and and when I when I drop those gems in class everyone's looking at me like she's smart and I'm like yeah. don't forget where you got it from <laughs> I'm kidding no those but, are all your brilliant and beautiful ideas but thank you for joining me this was the most perfect first conversation for what's going on social studies network podcast I hope I said that right the first time did I I hope I said I'm sorry y'all if I said it wrong the first time but <laughs> thank you for joining me I really appreciate it and I cannot wait for you to come back for a part two of our conversation no doubt thanks so much for having me appreciate it yay